Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Marvel Reread Club. Hi, everybody. This is Matt. So, welcome back. Let's go ahead and pick up where we left off last week with part two of September 1962. Uh, we need to move on to The Incredible Hulk, yes? Is that our next one? Yes, let's move on to The Incredible right. Hulk number three. So... so Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Go think on. this is, we've talked about times when Stanley gets the pages back from Jack Kirby and it's like, what the hell is going on in these pages? <laughs> How am I going to explain this? And I think this is a clear case of that. The whole concept of this issue is that Stan is like, uh, apparently the Hulk can fly now. And I don't think that was what Jack intended at all. I think that Hulk is doing what he always has done in most of his life. He is just jumping and that he is doing such a big jump on the cover that then Stan scripts it and Hulk is flying through the air, seemingly holding Rick Jones. Rick Jones is saying, I can't control him anymore. The Hulk is going berserk. And then an army soldier is pointing at him going, look, sorry, look, nothing can stop him now. He can fly. This would be a very weird thing if the Hulk could fly. That wouldn't fit at all with Stan's conception of the book, I don't think, or with Jack's conception of the book. I think that Jack, I think that Stan felt like Jack had backed him into this and he had to sort of explain like, okay, I guess this character can fly now. It says, the the caption doesn't mention it. It says, see the Hulk banished outer space, trapped by the ringmaster and other thrills with the most exciting original character in comics. But the guy is saying he can fly. What do you think? In the actual issue itself, there are several panels where the action lines show him moving in a way that seems to show him maneuvering in air. Yes. So I, I, I think that is, I don't think it's necessarily the leap on the cover that made the whole thing like, oh, he can fly. I think it's just there are multiple panels in this issue where he's doing a big leap, but the way that the action lines were drawn, it's like, yeah, he's not just jumping up and landing. Like, he is swooping around in the air. <laughs> and I But don't correct know, me if I'm wrong, this was never mentioned again. His ability to fly never mentioned again. I after do issue. not believe so. I, I do not believe so. Well, also, remember that when Superman was first introduced, he couldn't fly either. He could just leap taller than the highest building. Yes. You know, and, uh, and then yeah, they leap, eventually Leap tall buildings sort of, in a single bound. Right, and so they eventually just sort of morphed that into, oh, he can actually fly. And so this seems almost like that. You know, like, oh, he could jump, and, you know, oh, maybe he can fly. But yeah, I don't know whether Jack intended to draw him such that it looked like he was flying, and Stan felt back into a corner, or if Jack was just, I mean, Jack was still cranking out so many books. I mean, yes, these are great things that we're going back and, you know, reviewing for a reason. But, I mean, he was still cranking out, like, what, five, six pages a day? You know? He must have been. Yeah, it, it, it could just be that he, you know, just drew this thing. He's like, oh, he's going through the air. Here are some action lines. And then he didn't really think about the fact that, oh, these seem to be indicating that he's actually maneuvering himself in midair. I don't know. One way or the other, yes, they seem to imply in this issue that now the Hulk is able to fly. And if it's ever mentioned again, it's not going to be much. So then we begin with the Hulk where he was last issue, sealed up in the cave. Rick Jones has locked him in there. But then Rick Jones is out walking the desert when he's found by the military police. They bring him back to General Thunderbolt Ross. And General Thunderbolt Ross says that he specifically needs Rick Jones to find the Hulk this time. Because out there on the launching pad is America's newest, most important missile. It must be tested. But there isn't a man living who could stand the, the force of the G-pole. I think that should be the pole of the G-forces. 
but instead of the pull of the G-forces, it says the force of the G-pull, except the Hulk. We want the Hulk to ride that rocket in the interest of national security. No one else can do it. Now, what do you say? And then Rick Jones is like, yeah, it's true. I should go ahead. He goes back. He releases the Hulk and then gets the Hulk to chase him into where he will be grabbed by the military. Well, no, he's not grabbed. He gets him to chase him all the way through a long series of things, all the way up to the entrance to this rocket, leaves his jacket in the rocket to lure the Hulk into the rocket, and then, whoops, they slam shut the thing, and they fire him off into space. Now, one thing I find that's interesting here is that uh, the Hulk is clearly portrayed as being slow and lumbering, that he is not... You know, he is not a fast creature. He is more like a Frankenstein's monster or maybe a Romero zombie or something like that in terms of his movements, which is not character. It is not it does not seem consistent with what we later get, obviously, as a character and doesn't even seem consistent with the all the idea of, oh, and now it turns out he can fly. none of it seems to hold together but also notice that the whole big piston that holds his uh, door in place is utterly shattered here Uh, and and later we're of course going to have it like somewhat magically replaced (laughs) right so then they but then it turns out that Thunderbolt Ross was lying he really just wanted to shoot Hulk up in space so this is not the last time in this book that the Hulk will be launched out into space as a way of getting rid of him. People don't want him around. We've done it. It worked. It is the end of the Hulk. He'll never return alive to Menace Earth again. Rick now finally realizes he's been tricked. He just hears them talking. Well, we've done it. That's the end of the Hulk. Let's hope so, sir. If he ever returns, he'll be so filled with fury that we'll never be able to stop him. And Rick's like, what? And Rick, <laughs> unfortunately, they let Rick overhear this and they let Rick near the controls that control the rocket. And Rick's like, I'm going to land him. But as he does so, There is a strange, what does it say? At that split second, just as Rick Jones touches the control switch, the unbelievable amount of radiation which the ship has absorbed causes a shock to travel the many, many miles back to Earth. An electric shock, which will link the Hulk and Rick Jones more closely than ever before. Yeah, so so, so a a minute ago, uh, what was going on when... uh the Hulk was shot up in the capsule is that sunlight then comes through, which at this point, the Hulk still changes from banner to Hulk. So when the sunlight comes in, he turns back into banner and then he gets hit by presumably the same cosmic rays that hit the fantastic four. And he is getting just hammered with cosmic rays up there. And then it is that cosmic radiation energy that somehow ends up zapping back down to Rick Jones on the earth and creating this connection. Something like that. So then the Hulk crashes. Thankfully he is the Hulk again. It's science. It's all science. And so then he crash lands. Rick is there, but of course the Hulk never appreciates Rick Jones starts chasing him, (laughs) starts trying to get his revenge. And then Rick Jones is like, stay back, please stop. What? Huh? He stopped. And then he's like, he's standing still motionless. I said, stop. And he stopped says, raise your hand, Hulk, raise your hand. Now sit down, that's it, sit. And he is controlling the Hulk. So somehow that jolt of radiation that went between the Hulk and Rick Jones has given him ability to be the puppet master of the Hulk. He now can completely control the Hulk, but he falls asleep, the Hulk gets independent again. And also also, uh, the cosmic radiation that he absorbed has changed the Hulk to where he is no longer triggered by night and day. That cosmic radiation seems to have changed so that now at this point we actually don't know at this point in the story how he's going to change back because he's not changing back to Bruce Banner 
when day comes. Uh, so at this point, we're a little bit in the dark about what Bruce Banner's future is going to be. Yes, always, never status quo lasts for long in the Hulk. So then uh, the Hulk attacks in town. Rick Jones gets him, gets him under control again. They go flying off. He, You're right, he is now the shattered ramrod. The Another one of Stan Lee's favorite words, by the way, is ramrod, which he uses yes. to mean very different things in very different places. Says, lucky I was able to replace the shattered steel ramrod, even though it was clearly made of wood before. It did not look so easy to replace. So then no, yeah, seals. yeah. So can you imagine a teenager just being like, hmm, <laughs> yes. I, this lone teen, well, I guess maybe he can control the Hulk. So maybe he was able to get the Hulk to pick it up. But yes, yeah, one way or the other. Oh, also another thing I want to say, I was mocking the whole idea of the Hulk as a swamp creature in the last one, because I'm like, they're in the desert. What's up with this? But clearly there is some sort of lake here that they are underneath with this. So presumably when we saw him coming out of the swamp, uh, it was this lake. It was some uh, vegetation on the edge of this lake. True. So I apologize for my mocking in the previous uh, episode. Please stop sending your cards and letters. Steve, <laughs> Steve is apologize. That's all you can ask. We can't. We, we, we have to learn to start accepting apologies again in America. Okay. So then we get to a quick recap of the origin of the Hulk. Strangely, once again, Bruce looks like he's Bond in the flashback. I guess they're like, well, he was Bond on the cover of the first issue, so I guess he was actually Bond in the, in the origin of the Hulk. And then, okay, that, and, uh, that's interesting. So, so you know, as I said, they usually try to stay pretty faithful to the original colors in the Marvel Unlimited thing, but here, no, his he is his hair is brown. Uh, on page this. thirteen of the original comic, he is Bond on, in every panel. He is uh, a Bond character. No, he has brown hair here. What color is the Hulk in the last panel? Green. See, he's gray here. So oh. uh, they generally are pretty. You know, like when Galactus later shows up, and he first shows up in his like the whole red and green getup, uh, and then the next issue is like clearly we went purple and pink. You know, not not that red and green. They still color him red and green. Uh, on that issue in there. So they often, you know, even if there's something that's considered a mistake, we'll go ahead and keep that in the uh, in these issues. But yeah, for they seem to be pretty consistent, though, in showing the Hulk's first appearance as being gray in all of these, even though, as you say, in the original comics, he was portrayed as green, just sort of like, I forget we accidentally colored him gray the first issue. He's always been green. This issue is just packed. Like, a tremendous amount happened in that first story. And then we get a review of the origin in second story. Then we get to the third story which is will the mighty hulk be a match for the ringmaster so we're on page 15 already and you would think that they could just kick back and relax after having packed <laughs> this issue jam-packed up until this point but no they're like let's introduce another or several more long-lasting marvel villains the ringmaster and the circus of crime no and... here's, a, here, here's one thing i want to say is that uh, i had forgotten that the Ringmaster was a Jack Kirby creation because he later shows up in Spider-Man quite a while right. later. And I really thought he was a Ditko villain. He sort of feels like a Ditko villain. He does. And, and also his supporting cast of uh, evil carnies changes when he shows up in the Ditko comics. He, you know, it's got a very, you know, here it just sort of seems to be, oh, there's some evil clowns and a guy dressed up as a devil. And, you know, the, the, the enormous lady and the little, the, small person and the stretchy guy or whatever. But, uh, you know, then when he shows up in the Ditko comics later, there's, you know, they all sort of have names and there's these characters that are around him. Anyway, that's a little bit, but I just completely forgotten until I got to this. Then I was like, oh, that's right. This actually came from here. Okay. Anyway, and yes. I gotta say, page 16, rather gorgeous that, you know, it, you have what feels like 
the beginning of what might be a TV drama time. It feels like an episode of The Twilight Zone, where the cops are going to this town that is strewn with garbage. Everybody is walking around hypnotized, says every everyone motionless. If not for their heartbeats, you'd think they were dead. So far, we've been able to hush it up so the nation won't panic. But if we, the FBI men, can't solve this thing soon, who can? And finds that the the bank safe is open, all the money has been taken, everybody is hypnotized in town. Unfortunately, <laughs> the circus of crime made one mistake. They go, every town that's been hit so far has had the same circus poster displayed in the street. It's a slim lead, but we better check it out. So really, if you're going to do this, don't leave posters. <laughs> You're already looting the whole town. I mean, you're you're taking everything. Just take your poster. (laughs) Yeah. Make make that be the last thing you loot. (laughs) Always loot your own poster. First thing you loot. (laughs) So then we cut to the circus of crime. Uh, We see the ringmaster hypnotize everybody. And then his clowns are taking everybody's stuff. Of course, the strong man is lifting a safe and taking it away. Oh, yeah. Kirby is. has lots of fun with this oh, whole, yeah. you know, the, the, the acrobats making a human pyramid in order to, like, take stuff handed to them out of an up, upper window. And, yeah, the, the unicycle lady is wearing a mink coat while unicycling around. And, yeah, the, the strong man is carrying the safe and has, like, half a dozen fedoras stacked up on his head. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's uh, great. So then we cut to Rick Jones living with his aunt, which, like, what Rick Jones' living situation is, is something that is never very clear in the many comics he appears in over the years. This is one of the few times we see his living situation. Here he is living with his aunt Polly uh, and keeping his Hulk secret in the basement, I guess. And uh, let, 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 Actually, I, I, I didn't quite read this as him living with his aunt. He says, I'll go visit my Aunt Polly. She doesn't live far from here. And when he shows up, she says, land sakes, boy, it's been ages since I've seen you. Where have you been? And he just sort of blows her off. But uh, yeah, I got the impression that he might even be living in an orphanage or maybe he's like old enough to sort of, you know, just be on his own recognizance after his parents presumably died. That this is just some some relative that he just, you know, tends not to do much with until he needs to go wash his face and change his clothes, I guess. But yeah, no, this, this is really weird. And I don't think, I don't know if we ever hear anything about his family again. No, I don't think so. So well, once again, they, they, they were just, they were just flying by the seat of their pants and writing this as they go and throwing stuff out there and whatever seemed to work, they stick with whatever didn't seem to work. They didn't stick with. And I'm guessing they just decided, you know what? It makes more sense to have him be truly orphaned for him to be showing up as basically a superhero groupie. You know, that if, right. if, if he had actual family that cared about him and loved him in some way and wanted him to come home, maybe he wouldn't be going around risking his life for father figures here and there. Right. So then Rick Jones just decides to go to the circus like you do. He's like, hey, I'd like to go to the circus. The circus is in town. Thankfully, just as he's being hypnotized, he realizes he's being hypnotized. And he says, I'm beginning to feel numb. My brain is getting clouded. I've got to call the Hulk before I black out. Come to me, Hulk. Help. Come, Hulk. But can he hear my thoughts from so far away? He must. He must. And he does. It says, boy and danger must go to him. So he's speaking more crudely here. The Hulk then shows up to fight the circus of crime. Well, the human cannonball, the human cannonball has himself fired at the Hulk carrying what looks like Thor's hammer. Yeah, it does. And so he's like supposedly going to smash him with the hammer after being launched at him at cannon speed. But of course, this doesn't work out uh, as he hoped. Hulk gives him an uppercut that sends him shooting up through the big tent. The Hulk survives that just fine, but he can't survive his ultimate weakness, a hose. And (laughs) then they 
shoot him with a massive hose. He is knocked down long enough for them to chain him up. And uh, you would think uh, they would they do, get... they do point out that the only reason they're actually able to chain him up there is that Rick Jones is now completely hypnotized and cannot give him further orders. True. So then they have him chained up. They go to their next city. Thankfully, the FBI. So it turns out those FBI investigators before weren't just there to help establish the story. They actually are the heroes of the story because they show up to arrest him. It says, your victims told us everything when we snapped them out of your spell. And Rick Jones is like, never mind that. Where's the Hulk? You're traveling with a living bomb. So then the Hulk escapes. There is an absolutely beautiful drawing of the Hulk punching an elephant in the stomach. <laughs> the, no, no, the no, ele- no elephants were harmed in the making of this comic book. <laughs> the ringmaster gets on a chariot driven by horses. He tries to get away. The Hulk stops him. Then Rick Jones, still controlling the Hulk, flies away. And then you just in these final two panels, two of the final three panels here, you see the Hulk with action lines implying that he can actually change direction in midair, implying he actually can fly. It says, look, he's flying. Nothing can stop him now. But to me, if you just white out, and dear God, they should have, if you just white out these action lines showing him seemingly changing direction in midair, even then he's sort of just arcing in midair, then the whole Hulk flying element is gone from this issue and desperately needs to go and would never be mentioned again. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's ever mentioned again. I, I I hate making those sort of definitive comments because we said the same thing about the Ben Grimm having a thing for Sue Storm one in the first issue, and then it showed back up again in like issue three or something like that. So uh, or four or something. But uh, so yes, I I don't think it ever shows up again, but it certainly dies off quickly if it is. Yeah, we'll we'll eat crow if it shows up again. We'll uh, we'll have egg on our faces. But uh, um, I I does, I, does egg do does you... egg go with crow? that's what i was about to say can you eat crow and have egg on your face at the same time are these crow eggs were these were these eggs laid by the crow so uh next we'll be doing thor let's do thor okay sounds good uh so with this issue of thor well i call it thor it's journey into mystery number 84 the cover is inked by senate he does not ink the interior, but he clearly inks the cover. And we see Don Blake in front of a firing squad. And we see a little ghost balloon thing of Thor saying, how can I do what I must without revealing my most precious secret? And then there's a, uh, what we will find inside is a Latin American uh, would-be dictator saying, ready, aim, fire, as the woman who we will meet soon as his nurse, Jane, whose last name is not what it will be in this issue. They accidentally use a different last name later and stick with the later one. But then uh, she's saying, no, no. Well, Don Blake is saying, it's hopeless. Even Thor can't save me now. And then the caption says, featuring the mighty Thor captured by the Executioner. So for anyone who is familiar with later Thor comics... I, you know, I was thinking, ooh, I, wow, okay, we get to meet the Executioner this early. That's awesome. I'm like, oh, no, this isn't Scourge the Executioner. This is the would-be communist dictator who is known as the Executioner. So, yes. So then, as you were saying, we then, so the first page actually signed by Ayers. First mm-hmm. page says, it does not mention Stanley. It does not say this issue is by Stanley and Jack Kirby. It just says Kirby and Ayers on the front page. And of course, this issue was once again scripted by Larry Lieber. So uh, minimal Stanley involvement. We begin with Thor looking down on a bunch of troops saying, only I and my hammer stand between the executioner's lesions and disaster. But then we go back in time 
we remember his origin. They actually show those crazy rockmen from Mars again. And then Saturn. we cut to, I'm sorry, Saturn. <laughs> then we cut to, for the first time, Don Blake's normal life, which we didn't see any of in the first issue because he was on vacation in Norway. And here we meet for the first time, we see Don Blake at his practice and we meet his nurse. Now, where does it say her last name? At first, it, she did this call her Jane. It's a few it's a few pages in. I think it's when they're on the boat trip down to the Latin American country. One thing I notice is at least here her hair is colored sort of a strawberry blonde. In later issues, she is going to be a you know, have dark have brown hair. Is she more strawberry blonde or more brunette in your issue? Strawberry blonde. Okay. Yeah. So they 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 change that later. I guess maybe they figure they have too many blonde love interests. <laughs> yeah. Need to have at least one brunette in there. But so just today I rewatched the movie Thor, which was great. And mm-hmm. of course, in Thor, it's set in a small town in New Mexico, and it's there's a mural that says "Land of Enchantment, Journey into Mystery." So uh, <laughs> that was their callback to the fact that Thor is now the regular feature in Journey into Mystery, which keeps its name as Journey into Mystery for a long time. It goes from issue eighty three all the way up to what, issue one hundred twenty five as Journey into Mystery, and then finally just changes its name to Thor. So then, once again, we are continuing our theme of the ladies in the hero's life being rabid anti communists. So then they're driving down the street, and somebody's yelling out, "Extra fighting continues in San Diablo," now, <laughs> which this means is, Saint Devil. Saint Devil. So I was not aware that there was a Saint Diablo for San Diablo to be named after, but apparently there is. It says, fighting continues in San Diablo, and he's like, what's that all about? And she explains, while you were in Europe, a revolution broke out in San Diablo. Two factions are battling for power. One faction is democratic. The other is pro-communist. Its leader is a ruthless warlord known as the Executioner because of the many victims he sent to the firing squad. Then it cuts to, at a medical meeting, people are asking for volunteer doctors to go help out in the situation in San Diablo. Dante it looks like essentially doctors, without, essentially doctors without borders. But Yes, you know, yeah. which I guess did not exist yet at the time, but this is the a predecessor to Doctors Without Borders. They go ahead and say, who wants to go? Don Blake says, I will go. Now, he's not clearly going there to be like, I'm going to go there so I can change into Thor and overthrow communism. He's just, I think, going to be a good doctor and mm-hmm. is still not really thinking of himself as a superhero, I think, to a certain extent. I, I agree. Then they're on the ship and he says, oh, I shouldn't have let you come, Jane. If we were into trouble, I'll never forgive myself, which uh, good thinking there, Don, because in <laughs> fact... <laughs> She will be used against you. And, and actually, it's that next panel. This, the second panel on page four says, yet, even as Jane Nelson speaks. So then what is going on as Jane Nelson speaks is that planes blowing to the executioner are flying overhead. And they're like, why does the executioner order us to sink this ship? There are only doctors aboard. The executioner doesn't want the peasants to be cured. He wants them to remain ill so they will be unable to oppose us. So then they go try to sink the ship. Don Blake realizes, hey, I can tap my cane, I can turn to Thor. You get some really nice panels of Thor flying up and beating the hell out of these planes and <laughs> chopping them in half. Of course, everybody then has a parachute. Nobody dies. Thor isn't killing anybody. But we get some just uh, kick-ass panels. Kirby having fun, going crazy, showing Thor using his hammer in all sorts of clever ways to destroy these jets with a hammer and sickle on them. This is, of course, not generally the way Latin American revolutions would work. They wouldn't generally involve hammers and sickles. Actual (laughs) communist revolutions in Latin America tended to have a much more unclear relationship to the actual Soviet Union. So then Don Blake dives under the water, 
slams his hammer on the bottom of the ship so that then he can be floating there and claim he fell overboard, which he does. So then we go to the executioner, this this guy with a goatee and no mustache. Thor lands, and well, and and, well, and he's he's sitting there giving an egg, an order to execute somebody while he's holding a turkey leg in his hand. Uh, oh, is that with, what that is? Yeah, with it with with his with his combat boots up on the desk. Uh, so they're they're just trying to make him look just as completely uncivilized as they possibly can here. Uh, I mean, so, after all, he is the executioner. <laughs> he, so he's a little bit rude, is what you're saying. He's the sort of guy who would kick his boots up on the desk and then eat a giant turkey leg. While ordering someone's execution. While ordering someone. Well, that too. Right. That's another problem. <laughs> yes. So then Thor arrives, instantly snipers are shooting at him, says the only thing to do create a thunderstorm. He creates a thunderstorm. Now he then, does that while Don Blake. Yes, so, while Don Blake, he does not turn into Thor. So I, I don't know if he ever does this again, is able to use the walking stick in its walking stick form to tap it on. The, remember, we were talking in the last one, it was like the whole thing about single clicks, double clicks and triple clicks, and that he can actually use that while he is Don Blake and his and Mjolnir is in its uh, stick form here. I don't know if he ever does this again. At first, he tries to take care of the problem that way, but then he quickly realizes, no, once again, I must take the aspect of the mightiest of all warriors. He becomes Thor. He is takes out, grabs a tree trunk, is taking out tanks. Again, this is awesome stuff. It's really oh, yeah. beautiful. Then, as he intimated before, it was a mistake to bring Jane. They capture Jane. They put a gun to her head. They say, unless you leave, she will die. He, she, of course, is saying, don't listen to them. Defeat them all. Destroy the commies. But he is saying, no, it's I can't risk Jane's life. I'll have to find a place to hide and change back to Don Blake. So then he does change back to Don Blake. He allows them to grab his uh, walking stick from him, grab his cane from him, which is not good. He's put up against the wall to be executed. And well, then, and we're right here, uh, right when the uh, when they take his walking stick away, Jane says, "No, don't shoot him. You mustn't." And then the executioner then says, "You like him, eh? Tell me, what would you do to save his life? Would you marry me?" Which is already sort of becoming a bit of a trope here. But one of the things that's actually brought to mind for me was the old Saturday Night Live sketch, "Nice Guy Dictator." <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> Where the whole thing is, you know, he's a dictator doing all this ruthless stuff, but then you know he has, oh, here's that peasant woman that you liked in the market. Here, you know, let me let's bring her to you. And he's like, oh, thank you. So, uh, what do you like? Would you like to go out to a movie? <laughs> <laughs> this is somehow reminding me of Nice Guy Dictator. So then, Don Blake, that is pretty badass here. Don Blake is always like, oh, I let them take my cane from me. They're going to put me against this wall and execute me. And so he shouts, executioner, you're a lily-livered coward. If you weren't, you'd fight me man to man. And luckily, the executioner then comes up with the cane and says, why, you puny Yankee? How dare you insult the mighty executioner? He says, mighty, do you need that cudgel to attack one lame man? So then disdainfully, the executioner starts to toss the ruffian walking stick aside, but a slender arm reaches out. Thankfully, he grabs it. Now, he then becomes Thor. Jane was just watching him. Like, they're all watching him. It should be tremendously obvious to everybody at this point that Don Blake is Thor. But nobody seems to notice because there's a blinding light when he becomes Thor. And everybody's like, oh, while that blinding light was showing, then Don Blake must have run away and Thor must have arrived. Yeah, and that, that's once again some of uh, Stan Lee throwing in some dialogue to cover up the whole idea. It's like, he just gave away his whole identity here. So, yeah, um, well, you know, oh, yes, while he was the Yankee. Oh, there it is. So there's a blinding flash and it says, the Yankee is gone. He escaped. 
but Thor is here to mete out vengeance. It's like, it's not how this works, people. So then Thor finally decides to defeat these guys once and only. He used a lightning bolt to set off a volcano. And uh, <laughs> that seemingly brings down the communist dictatorship. But then Once get, again, it's just science. It's just science. Then he gets, you get a recurring theme here. So then after the regime has been toppled, it says his army confused and defeated. The executioner now tries to escape. And he is trying to escape with a suitcase crammed full of dollar bills or $100 bills that are sticking out of it. And then just giant sacks of money with dollar signs on it. <laughs> and it says, look, our leader flees with our gold. He is the cause of our downfall. And now he tries to desert us. He must pay for his failure. And then they should have been killed. And then he dies with his hands still clutching the money. Then finally we see, um, so we, we see Jane, who's, I guess, at this point, not yet Jane Foster, but she will be soon, who's talking about Thor having vanished. And she says, he was so strong, so masculine, so wonderful. And uh, which I find interesting that, you know, he is this long hair dude. Yes, long hair on guys will end up being considered very masculine about six or seven years from now, but (laughs) not so much yet. Uh, But, you know, they very much go into this whole thing about how masculine Thor seems to Jane. And then they go back to their office and, you know, they're back in there in his medical practice, or I guess they're they're leaving to go back to his medical practice. And uh, she was asking where he was when the fighting was going on. He says, I was uh, hiding behind the execution wall. I figured it was the safest place to be. She says, oh, I see. Hiding. Golly, why couldn't you be brave and adventurous? Well, I, like I should be clear, she is thinking this. She says, oh, I see out oh, loud. And then I'm she sorry. thinks yes. to herself. Yes, then she thinks to herself, hiding. Golly, why couldn't you be brave and adventurous like Thor? But no, that would just be too much to hope for. And we had established earlier on that he is attracted to her, but thinks, oh, because I am lame, and so therefore I cannot expect to want a woman like Jane to ever want to settle down with me. And meanwhile, Jane is thinking, why won't you make a move? You know, which is also going to be a recurring theme in these early Marvel issues where you've got offices with very few people where everybody is actually sort of into each other, but nobody's saying anything. And it's like, why, you know, why won't you be unprofessional and date me? But, you know, I guess that's how things were back then. And this sort of feels more like DC than Marvel, this idea of, oh, she's attracted to my alter ego and instead of being attracted to me mm-hmm. is very was very much a common thing in DC. And, you know, in general, the sexual politics in DC were more bizarre and <laughs> aged more badly than the sexual politics in Marvel. And there's definitely sort of an incel element here. Oh, you know, they want the bad guy. You know, they don't want the nice guy who would take care of them, but they don't like him because he's lame, literally lame. Right. But then eventually they will remove this element as well. Uh, so we've got one more issue to go through here, which is Ant-Man, correct? Yes. So let's. So this is, we had an issue before where we met Hank Pym as the man in the anthill, but now we are actually going to have him turn into Ant-Man. They sort of belatedly realize, hey, we want a whole superhero universe here. What about that guy who appeared in that one issue in the anthill? We could go ahead. You know, he had invented a shrinking formula. What if he had to become a superhero to do that? So it says, Tales to Astonish 35, you'll gasp in amazement at the return of the Ant-Man. And Ant-Man is saying, stop him, my pets, obey your leader. The Ant-Man commands you. And you've got a really nice image of Ant-Man looking up at an extremely low-angle crook. 
and uh, extreme low angle image of a crook putting down with a gun. So there's, and, extreme, there's extreme foreshortening from a worm's eye view. Yes. To use the to use the the artistic terms, right? Although one thing I notice is that the ants, whenever we see them close up, are furry. Yeah, I don't think ants are furry, are they? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe know. maybe they are, but you know, <laughs> maybe this maybe this type of ant is. I don't know. Yes, but yes they're well, they're kind of like tarantulas or something. Yeah, there there are all sorts of imaginary ants in here. By the way, we, we will be talking more about so called honey ants. And once again, I actually did a little re- research on that. We'll talk about that when it comes up. Okay, so then the issue <laughs> begins. We've got. Uh, we, they quickly remind us about this guy who shrunk down and got stuck in an anthill. It then reveals that, it, and to be fair, they actually play fair here. They show that he said that he would never do it again and swore he would never do it again. But then he, a couple weeks later says, however, weeks later, he says, so great a discovery must not melt into nothingness. I must concoct the serums again. So he concocts the serums, but just puts them in a safe. He's not going to use them. But meanwhile, he's become obsessed with ants, which makes sense. He, you know, was mm-hmm. rescued by ants. He was stuck in an anthill. And so, you know, it always seems a little strange, sort of like Spider-Man. Like, I happen to get spider powers, except for this one spider power. So I went ahead and invented that. It's always seemed a little strange for ant It's like, I learned to shrink down, and I also learned to control ants. And it's a good thing those two go together. But they make it believable enough here, where it's like, first he shrinks down, then he ends up in an anthill, and then he's like, hey, ants are cool. I should learn more about ants. <laughs> he sort of turns himself into an entomologist mid-career. Yes. And he creates a strange-looking helmet. I don't know about you. I've always found Ant-Man's helmet to look strange. Yeah, it looks strange, but I mean, it, I, I love it, honestly. I mean, it looks really unique. Uh, you know, it, it does. doesn't look like anyone else's helmet or mask. And uh, I, I've always loved that about it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's a strange looking mask, but uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, they do do a great job giving everybody a very unique look, which again they do better than they ever did at DC. So then, so then, meanwhile, we cut to now. Do you think this is actually Khrushchev or just a a KGB man who? Looks I, I who who knows? I yes. Yeah, so this could be Khrushchev's first appearance in a Marvel comic, but um, no. Wait, but, wasn't Khrushchev in Incredible Hulk number one? He, his photo was. The, oh, somebody okay. was speaking to his, was addressing him by looking at his photo. This may or may not be Khrushchev's first actual physical appearance in here. I, it, it's unclear. But first of all, the, there was this one panel right before that that just says, oh, by the way, the government gave Henry Pym a top secret scientific assignment and four assistants to help him carry it through. Which, I mean, I guess during the height of the Cold War, that might actually be how things work. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm not sure entirely. So then they're trying to come up with a gas to make people immune to radioactivity. So then we cut to Moscow, and you were saying? Yes. So then uh, they decide, you know, in Moscow, they say, our informants say the American scientists have almost completed their anti-radiation formula. So so then we must notify our agents in the Western Hemisphere at once. So then uh, Hank Pym is here with his four assistants when suddenly Soviets with machine guns come in the door. They say, we want the anti-radiation formula. He says, you'll get nothing from me. They say, then we'll get it from one of your assistants. He says, no, each of them has worked out only a part of the formula. I'm the only one who knows it all, and I shall never tell. Okay, if the Soviets have these agents in the West that they're going to send in to do this, wouldn't you think they would try to look a little less foreign? You know, it's like they've got these goatees and like they're half shaven and, you know, there's it's like you're a spy. Like, please try to blend in. <laughs> this is uh, anyway, that that sort of bugs me about this. But I know it's, it's a visual medium. You have to get across visually. These are the bad guys. 
and these are the good guys. But you know, it is a little bit like shave the shave the goatee. That's not a that's not a thing that that people are doing in America at this point. You you want Philip and Elizabeth Jennings? You want you want <laughs> yes! the Americans? I I do I do. Uh, have you finished that by the way? <laughs> no, I'm I'm in the middle of season five. Yes, so, but I want Philip and Elizabeth Jennings, the Americans. Exactly. Yes. So then, uh, so I should say that. He does not, again, like in a lot of these things, they don't really decide to become superheroes yet. You know, Ant-Man makes the helmet just so he can learn to control ants. And then he says, and I have designed a protective costume to wear, which will shield me from accidental ant sting or bite. So he he's created the outfit specifically not to become a superhero, but just it's just anti-ant bite protection. Mm-hmm. But it turns out, hey, it's a good thing I have that costume and this helmet. And I'm going to go ahead. So then... You get this odd thing that happens in a lot of early Ant-Man comics where there's a lot of thought about how he's going to get around. So before he shrinks, he sets up, this is just the weirdest thing. It says, they may be stopped by a mere rubber band and some thread, among other things. I'll just set this ashtray on the floor and stretch the rubber band on it so. So first he's got to set up this elaborate ashtray and rubber band thing. Then he pours the liquid on himself, becomes Ant-Man, and then he's like, now that I've set up this Ashrin rubber band, I can use it to fling myself to the window, which I did not bother to open while I was able to open it at full size. I will then go down. This time he goes intentionally into the anthill. He gets his ant friends, has to fight them a little bit again, does not specifically say he's using judo. Uh, you have a neat cross-section of what is inside his helmet. Actually, he does say he's using judo, doesn't he? He does at some point in this issue. Oh, yeah. So it's on page eight, panel four. Oh, one judo blow is all it will take to stop him. Yes. yes. So then we have our second mention this month. It says, note the Ant-Man's costume is made of steel mesh consisting of unstable molecules, which stretch and contract as his own body does. So, so my, already... my, under- my understanding is that late, you know, later in the Marvel Universe, it's understood that unstable molecules are an invention of Reed Richards. Right. Well, and at times but... they make it mm-hmm. seem like they were automatically invented by the cosmic storm that invented the fantastic four hmm. that 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 turned their molecules unstable and that then he decided to go ahead and start manufacturing unstable molecule costumes for all the people i think maybe that was implied at some point maybe so but yeah it, it, but the fact that henry pym has an unstable molecule outfit the exact same month that the term is first used in fantastic four seems to indicate that it was maybe a thing that was already around in the marvel universe or you or know, maybe he's or maybe he's already had some contact with mr fantastic can be yes. but we yes. don't know yeah so then uh he has to briefly defeat a beetle then he <laughs> a goes blue beetle a blue beetle and then he goes <laughs> With the ants, he crawls back inside. He gets the ants to, well, he he and the ants help untie the assistants. You get another recurring Ant-Man theme here, which is that he falls at one point and the ants have to cushion him. The, generally abil- the general ability of ants to cushion him will get more and more bizarre over the course of these <laughs> Ant-Man comics. Yes. So then he unties everybody and it's interesting he unties everybody and then he attacks all the bad guys with ants the bad guys get stung with ants they all drop their guns but then at that point he doesn't attack the bad guys anymore just the men get loose and then his four assistants take care of the bad guys well he he tries to really sort of take leadership here but he finds that being ant-sized he can't be heard He's screaming as loud as he can, and nobody can hear him because he's too small. So I get the impression here that he was not intending to have a secret identity in this thing at all. He was just like, 
oh, I got to do this to go ahead and try to save the day here. And everyone will see that, oh, okay, I did this. I shrunk myself down. I'll talk about my scientific discovery. But then when nobody can hear him and he just uses his ants to do it, he's like, oh, well, I guess I can just go ahead and change back into my civilian identity and no one has to know. Uh, That's how I read this here. Well, of course, at the time, he had to, like, douse himself in chemicals to get bigger or smaller so he couldn't yes. just be going back and forth all the time. Right. So then once well, the guys also, are... Also, so, so uh, when with one of the guns that the one of the bad guys drop, uh, he then sends so-called honey ants to go into the gun and plug it up with dot, 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 honey. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, we've already talked about ants and honey in a previous one. I need to go look up something about, is there any kind of ant that does anything with honey? Closest thing I came up with is there is a type of ant called a honey pot ant. And, uh, and there are a number of different species of honey pot ants. And in these things, there are certain workers who are specialized to gorge themselves until they get distended abdomens that are like several times the size of the rest of their entire bodies. And they're these golden colored distended abdomens. And then uh, they can be used to essentially act as food sources for the other ants later by regurgitating out this honey stuff. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, sleep tight, kids. Um, so that's the closest thing I can find to anything about ants having anything to do with honey. And there are apparently some cultures that find eating these engorged ants a delicacy because they are essentially honey. Maybe Stan knew about that. Maybe. (laughs) Or Jack. Or Jack. Maybe Stan or Jack knew about that. Or maybe not. Maybe (laughs) they just falsely assumed that Ants had something to do with honey. Yes. But so then they get the guys loose. They go, I don't know what's going on, but somehow my ropes got loose. Mine too. And since those murderous reds are without guns now, let's get them. And Ant-Man is just like, well, I guess the boys can handle things from here on in. I better just go back to my office before they search for me. So then he goes through, he once again has to completely douse himself in chemicals, becomes normal size again. <laughs> he comes out. Which, which, you know, it just seems completely healthy. I mean, that's that's a good long-term solution there, is just keep on, you know, bathing in these weird chemicals. Yes, eventually they would realize that did not make sense for the character. Uh, he comes out, finds that the Russians have been tied up. Uh, his assistants say, ha, without their weapons, they were a pushover. We notified security. They're sending some officers over. And then Hank Pym says, we're fortunate it turned out all right. It could have been big trouble, not only for us, but for the entire free world. Because, you know, heaven forbid that the Russians have an anti-radiation spray uh, (laughs) and not run the risk of being completely destroyed by radiation. That would be a shame to share that between the two countries. Yes, uh, before Chernobyl. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that would (laughs) have... Would have been good if everybody at Chernobyl had had anti-radiation spray. So then he is walking away. Uh, They're doing a classic thing of his shadow is the superhero shadow as he is dressed in normal clothes. It says it is over. The danger has ended for now and my secret is still safe. But I wonder, will I ever be forced to become Ant-Man again? And as opposed to earlier issues where they implied that wouldn't happen here, they just say, yes, Henry Pym, you will sooner than you think. But we will save that story for the next issue of Tales to Astonish. And of course, in the Ant-Man movie, they do reference, you know, as you said earlier with the Thor uh, first appearance, they had the poster that said Journey into Mystery. In the Ant-Man movie, at one point, uh, the bad guy is making a speech and he's talking about the tales of the Ant-Man, the cold warrior in the 60s. Uh, and he just says, oh, yeah, we've all heard those stories, you know, tales to astonish. 
and uh, moves along. What, had you not noticed that? I, I had forgotten that. Yes, yes. Um, so anyway, yes, they, they like to, they, they do like to, you know, reference those sorts of things very nicely. It's a, it's a lot of, uh, it's fun, fun for the fans to get those deep cuts. Yes. So, uh, so that's the man. What do you think of the man? Uh, what do you think of this story? Uh, I liked it. It's, it's bizarre and, uh, Ant-Man will continue to be bizarre, uh, for yes. the next, for the next year or so. It will get more and more just absolutely bananas, uh, as we go on. And so, you know, I'm sort of more just licking my chops in anticipation for just how utterly bananas this thing's going to get <laughs> later with his like little ant sized elevator and his little catapult and all sorts of stuff that we're going to be getting <laughs> later, which is just, and of course, uh, one of my favorite lines from any Marvel comic, go to the ants, thou sluggard, which we will get to eventually. <laughs> I did not remember <laughs> about that one. Yes. <laughs> It's a quote, he later will reveal that he became Ant-Man because there is a quote from the Bible, one of the more bizarre quotes from the Bible taken out of context, go to the ants, thou sluggard. So yeah, I think this is good comic. I think that it seems like Ant-Man is going to work as a superhero, maybe more than he actually will. And <laughs> they've come up with a good storyline where it sort of makes sense to become Ant-Man and it sort of makes sense that he would have this costume and this helmet and be able to be Ant-Man and it's a good situation in which to become Ant-Man more so than maybe some later situations. And it's uh, it's good, you know, at this point. I feel like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man is sort of not the most, not the character who makes the most sense or who they have the most respect for. I feel like in Marvel Comics, this was sort of the first superhero that Marvel sort of abandoned and changed his basic deal more times before that. This has always been sort of a the thankless Marvel hero. And we will get to that pretty soon. But for now, they've got it all set up. So that we have covered a lot of stuff this week. Yeah, but I mean, there there was just so much stuff. This, you know, I, I've, this is not the first time I've said this, but it's like this month, you know, we really sort of went to another gear in terms of what the Marvel Universe is turning into. I, I think I said a couple of episodes ago that uh, when we first introduced the Hulk and brought back Namor in the same month or so, uh, that that was really where, oh, the Marvel Universe is kind of being born. Well, this is sort of where it's really kind of gaining some acceleration. So we now have five books in this month, although, as I said, my sources say that Amazing Fantasy 15 was actually the previous month, but one way or the other. We've now got Ant-Man, we've got Thor, we've got Hulk, we've got Fantastic Four, and we've got Spider-Man all going and doing their things at once. And, um, you know, things are really starting to expand out and gain momentum. Yes. And some of these books are monthly and some are bi-monthly at this point. So we're going to we're gonna find that some of these heroes are going to be back next month and some won't, which yes. is to say the next episode of this podcast. Okay, yes. so I this has been a lot of fun. We've covered a lot of comics. Uh, I guess we will see you guys soon. Thank you very much for listening. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Great. Okay, bye, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Marvel Reread Club. Please subscribe and rate us wherever you found us. Go to secretsofstory.com and click on Marvel Reread Club in the sidebar to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. See you next time.